The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Discretion is advised. Hey there, folks. This is Kristen Williams with another Trans Advocate podcast. And today we have the regular pod crew, which is... Robin Mack. And Alexis. Hey, so I heard there was a little election recently. I heard there was a big one. <laughs> yeah, according... Well, so I heard something like the Republicans had a 15% increase in their turnout. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. Yeah, but then there were the Dems. Hmm. Well, yeah, I heard that they had something like a 10, was it 10%? I think it was like, oh, 300%. There's two ways you get there. One is really low turnout before, <laughs> or really high turnout now. <laughs> So I, I understand you had something to do with uh, the elections. I think both of you did. That's pretty and, exciting. And I think that you had you were certainly, you happened to be there <clears throat> at West Gray when MSNBC happened to <clears throat> be what? there. What? <laughs> MSNBC. Were you like, hello, Rachel? Nice to meet you. <laughs> I was trying to avoid what? the cameras. <laughs> So, so, so basically, MSNBC did this piece a couple days ago from Austin. Uh-huh. Yes. The, the problem was the facts weren't facts necessarily. I, I sent them Uh-oh. a hate tweet over the trans advocate uh, Twitter uh-huh. because of it, because yeah. they were just saying stuff that was completely wrong. And, and I sent them some notes too and that uh-huh. sort of stuff. So anyway, so then I get a call because they want to check a couple of things to make sure they have it right because they're going to be down here in Houston uh-huh. on election day. I love it when Rachel does her Houston segments and she's like, it's Houston, guys. If Houston has this together. (laughs) Well, I mean. We do have a lot of stuff together. I I like that MSNBC calls us up and says, we need to fact check a couple of things. What what exactly were the facts? Yeah, and, And, you know, I've never seen them screw up what they ask us about mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. a nice thing Good. you know because so they are using it because frequently Good. some of the things are a little bit strange but yeah they were going to be here and they were going to interview andrew white um mm-hmm. sort of first thing and and down at west gray and, and, and who is andrea white <laughs> andrew andrew yeah <laughs> andrew. but that's close well, shh, shh. <laughs> I, I, i'll Whoa. edit that out <laughs> and, and andrew white right now is one of the two people this is after the this round of the election one of the two people running for governor on the Democratic side, he and Lupe are in a runoff. Oh, okay. And Andrew was the person endorsed by the Houston GOBT political caucus. Mm. And so so basically, the uh, <laughs> the screening committee uh, that, that did the recommendation on the endorsement, Robin and I were both on. Mm-hmm. And so we thought Andrew was a pretty good choice. Ah, mm-hmm. And it turns out Andrew did end up winning. But uh, one of the things that was really funny, someone who's sort of in politics in Houston found it humorous because right after finishing his interview, I was standing there and taking some pictures. And so Andrew comes over to talk to me about a bunch of stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've I've noticed that uh, politicians and people seem to kind of like, hey, we need to pull you off to the side and talk about something. (laughs) That's happened more than once. And and I I figure it's just because I'm friendly. I don't know Mm -hmm. what the deal is. And so then Todd Litton, who is actually right now uh, the candidate that will be running against the Democratic candidate in Texas 2nd Congressional District, which mm. was Ted Poe's seat, but Ted Poe decided that he didn't like oh, the race. The it was, it was, you know, he was going to just sort of retire. Uh, so uh, Todd Litton was also interviewed, and after his interview, Todd came over and hung out <laughs> and talked a bunch, and then people started you know, 
talking about things. And then Laura Mosier showed up, did an interview, and came over and hung out and talked to them. So. so basically, we should have had a podcast set up out there. No kidding. That would have been really interesting. Maybe but, we should do that, like, and, and, at one of the elections, was have an election. Yeah, that would be interesting. That, that would definitely be interesting. They, they, and I'm sure we could get a really, uh, quite a few interesting sound bites. We could Probably. do it at the runoff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we could. Uh, but what I was going to say was they did at West Gray, they were doing exit polling, and I, it's some national group whose name you'll never see any place, but they <laughs> do exit polling for de- several different other groups. Mm-hmm. And I've rarely seen exit polling. I think I've seen it once before, but uh, that was sort of cool because everyone's like, do they really do exit polling? <laughs> and it's like, yep, they really do. So, yep, we had an election. Lots of people came out to vote. They're... <clears throat> were a lot of people who voted in the uh, early voting, and then it was just steady at all the various precincts because mm-hmm. the, the voting places, you had to vote in your own precinct so, on election day. Uh, you guys interviewed these people. Mm-hmm. You screened them. Mm-hmm. You fact-checked their politics and had discussions with them, met them. Um, how many of those people that you guys wanted to endorse one well from, from or, this, or at least or is going into the run yeah, going into the run for the screening committee that robin and i were on i was mm-hmm. chairing and um all but one really yeah mm-hmm. and and how many it's candidates it's quite a few seats yeah 18 yeah, 18 seats mm. so and we interviewed seats. 78 people wow and what what people don't understand is some of these seats had seven people competing in it or i mean really good close oh my gosh you'd be fine with either one of them (laughs) you know and and why couldn't one of you go into a different seat so we could pick both of you sort of situations dude am i understanding this correctly Mm -hmm. you guys interviewed a republican Several a for few of them. for for yeah. the uh, caucus endorsement, the yeah. the GLBT plot, political caucus endorsement, yep. and I understand that there was one that was running against what was it, Ted Cruz? Absolutely, and and that was the Republican side running for Senate. Mm-hmm. And her Mary, name is Mary. Yeah, Mary Miller. She's amazing, <laughs> <laughs> and she really is. And and I mean and the. There was very little chance Mary would win because they mm-hmm. were freezing her out on funding. They were freezing her out on being right. able to talk to I, people. I heard they were doing t- all this stuff. Yeah. But she was unstoppable. Like oh, she totally. came in and she sat down at the table and there was this look around the table. And then <laughs> instead of any other way that she could be like go to business or shy or anything, she just goes, oh, my people, it's good to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> I've seen some things. I've been to some places. And, and after traveling hours, they've shut me out. But, you know, that's interesting. It was like a, a, a confession room. We, we've had, like, Republican con- candidates, like, sit down yeah. and kind of candidly say, man, I am glad to hang out yes. with you people yes. because, oh, my yes. God, the type yes. of people I have to hang out yes. with. quite a few of those, actually. Well, and she said that she's just not going to be kicked out of her own party. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's plenty of people that she had met along the way, and she's a wife of a, a person that's in the military, and they felt, they, they related to her. Mm. You know, so that's what got her in the in the race, was there were so many people that related to, what, what are they doing to my party? This is not my party. So, in this race, uh, she must have come in what twentieth, thirtieth. Well, you know, to, to begin with, we really, the, you know, Ted Cruz has a huge organization, tons sure. of money. At the time she interviewed with us, she'd raised one hundred and twenty-four dollars. 
and was okay. doing pretty well Which with is it. Like towards the end of January. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, because she was being totally frozen out on fundraising mm-hmm. and all that. Um, I think we helped her fundraising a little bit because we all, a lot of us, gave her something, but not much. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take much. But anyway, she came in second. And Wait a second. She came in second to yep. Ted Cruz. Exactly. Now, you know, Cruz won by a whole lot. A whole lot. But she okay. came in second. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was really surprised and really happy about it. I was so, literally so walking in. this was a candidate in. that had, was running against multiple candidates. Yes. And was being purposefully shut out of the race mm-hmm. by the, I guess, the establishment I Republicans or whatever. Um, and who was... Pro equality, um, you know, did, you know, screened with the GLBT political caucus, mm-hmm. and she came in second. She was a really great Republican. There are good people on both sides. Hmm. It's the people that aren't good people on both sides that we would like to just... No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> all Republicans, all over the place, they're all no. horrible. They're all, you know, we can't work with them. We can't talk with them. Um, we can only talk to Democratic people, and only then I'm glad if I'm they're not in your party, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, because <laughs> I talk to everybody. Most, yeah, mostly I I care if they're pro equality or anti equality, and that's the issue. For well, me. no, actually, I have another issue. Yeah. First question is, do you want to kill me because of the fact that I'm trans? Well, if the answer is yes, I'm, I, I don't care about the rest of this. Well, well, it's really simple. They, they will almost never, almost never say. I do want to kill you. What, what Actually, they'll say is things like, oh, we just need to restrict this and restrict that and restrict this and all this stuff so that you can't actually function in public like a free citizen in the United States of America. No, they tell me they want to kill me <laughs> and behead me and all like that. They oh, usually well, have it in writing or it's on videotape. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you're just nicer than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just saying i don't know <laughs> or maybe you're scarier that would, that'd be more accurate probably but yeah you know and it, it's sort of like it's a gating issue for me it's, it's like you know you, you you can't deny the fact that uh, i have a right to exist and expect me to vote for you or support you in any way well, well along just similar, similar lines that, that's, that's sort of like the israeli approach we can't negotiate with you as long as you say we don't have a right to exist. Those well, absolute things are not, you know, that, that's what doesn't work. But if you're willing to follow the Constitution that says we the people and include the law and take a stand yeah. for that, then I like both people on both sides. I was walking in thinking, uh, Mary said, if we all just jump the fence and do the right thing and vote Republican, like she'll, <laughs> she'll be able to take Ted Cruz out. <laughs> <laughs> and I really remembered that walking up to the bull, but I thought, but I want to vote for all these other Democrats. Like I considered it. And um, it reminds me, I was talking to uh, Gordon Goodman. He's a judge here. And he said, you know, recently a chief justice, Paul Murphy, who was a brave judge of the other party, the Republican party passed away. And there was an article about him in the Chronicle that highlighted that he was responsible for the original Lawrence decision in the Texas Court of Appeals. And Gordon said um, his courageous decision was ultimately vindicated by the final decision of the U.S. Supreme Court. Justice Murphy's example and willingness to do the right thing at the right at, at real personal cost is worth um, illuminating. And it, I mean, it, 
we're not that far away from sodomy laws. That's what he's talking about. The Lawrence case was um, to like the act of sodomy you can press charges against. Well, I want to just, you know, if your issue is equality, if your Mm -hmm. issue is, you know, trans people should be able to function in society like cis people, Mm -hmm. um, if, if that's your position, then the reality check is, did you know that uh, Republicans were the first people in our country to make it explicitly legal for trans people to go to the bathroom and to, that was back in the Mm seventies. You know, it hasn't always been that all Republicans are, you know, are this weird, like, proto-Nazi, ethno-state-loving, just, it, 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 that seems to have happened sometime, what, in the last decade? Yeah, pretty much. The other side of it is that the Democrats have not always been pro-equality. Oh, I think- Barney Frank, anyone? Anyone remember Barney Frank? <laughs> or the KKK. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Alexis pointed out, like, it's really easy to, you know, say, oh, I don't like this whole party sometimes, but in our particular Texas state, all the hate bills didn't get passed. That's right. So and every Republican, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you say? You yeah, say well, better than I do. There weren't enough Democrats to stop them, so the Republicans stopped them. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, you have to give credit where credit's due on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. But the reality is that the party that has been shoving and pushing the Republican Party to the left, um, to the left, <laughs> to the right, further and further to the right. Um, you know, the Tea Party, the alt-right wing of the Republican Party, they managed to censure those Republicans for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, I mean, they censured the speaker. I, 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 you can't see my scarecrows around. Yeah, but but they, they censured the speaker speaker after he had said i'm not running again yeah. this is sort of weird it's like uh i'm i'm saying i'm leaving so you don't have to worry about me yeah i wonder so, i wonder what would happen if he suddenly had changed his mind and said you know after that maybe i will run or something it was so, too late they also waited till after he couldn't change his mind so we're having this you know moment in american politics where trans issues um are really prominent and it, it, it shows up certainly in our local politics. We had Hero, all of that kind of stuff. In the UK, they're having a similar thing go on, except the hysteria is wretcheded up to like 11. Um, their media is, is propagating all kinds of salacious... It, it goes past misreporting. It's literal bullshit. That it's, hear- it's just... Bullshit. They're either they're even making up new words. Oh yes, we're we're transing kids. So mm-hmm. you know now the 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 fret is in the, I guess the media over there is that you know we're going around and finding people and then transing them. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know maybe that we have superpowers or something. And, yeah, we've and, seen a little too much Harry Potter. Cool yeah, and and all the people want to be works. like us, and so we trans them and then they're trans and that's how 
how things happen. You know, that's sort of similar to the bit of instantaneously becoming trans because you watched a couple TV shows that somebody keeps talking <laughs> well, about. Yeah, that, or that's, whatever. They're I mean, pushing that. That and, and, I I don't even want to call it a theory. It's a postulation. It it's bullshit. But they are pushing yeah. that in UK schools. Hmm. So the uh, Labour Party has about six hundred thousand members. That's in the UK, right? That's in the yeah, UK, okay. and uh, they they had uh, a big row, um, a fight, an internal fight over the last about a year. Because a lot of these supposedly progressive leaders were actually vehemently anti-trans. The, the rhetoric that they were putting out was absolutely indistinguishable from the most right-wing, anti-woman, anti-abortion, anti-queer, anti-trans organization. It, it was the same stuff. Mm -hmm. They were saying the same stuff, but pretending that they're progressive in this progressive party that is the Labour Party over there with its 600,000 members. Well, their big moment of activism came and went in the last 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So so this they is breaking. Yes, this is breaking news. They announced that they were staging a mass walkout of the Labour Party. They were quitting in mass that sounds very to, queer they're to, like let's shut this shit down let's yeah, ruin this operation they're they're, they're going to yeah. take their toys and go home yeah just to show how many are truly worried about the transgender menace okay. well it was a, around a hundred uh, people <laughs> and and I, I i did the math on this so around a hundred people out of 600,000 is 0.0001667% of but their wait, membership. Wait, just forget all that. How would they know for sure that these 100 people walked out and just weren't doing other shit? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not very many. Sarah just went to lunch, okay? Sarah so, just went to lunch. She know. clocked in. She clocked out. That's all her. That's between her and her manager. Nobody yeah, needs to exactly. know anything. So, you know, you've got, uh, you know, somewhere around 100, not even 1% of this organization turns out to be vehement bigots, anti-trans bigots, and they have decided to take their toys and go home. And um, I'm really okay with that. It's really sad when you look at our movement and, you know, some of our history and you get really inspired by wanting to make that kind of difference and then you map it onto your own life and it doesn't work. Well, Aww, poor little bigots. So I want to have a discussion. I want to take a break, but um, when we come back, I want to have a discussion about um, this whole mm, inter-community politics um, we were talking about, you know, there, there's some issues between the gay community and the trans community and, you know, some of those issues have bubbled up into the news recently with RuPaul mm -hmm. and some things. So I, I wanted to talk. Some to of those issues have been around for a really long, long time. time. Really long so time. So I want to take a quick break. 
um, and when we come back, have that discussion. If you're trans, intersex, or genderqueer, and are a victim of a disaster, we can help with our Trans Disaster Relief Fund. And if you're going to college, university, or trade school, you can apply for one of our scholarships. Located in Houston, Texas, we hold weekly support group meetings and run the only community-owned transgender archive that's open to the public. Also, please keep in mind that our 2018 Houston Transgender Unity Banquet will be held Saturday, September 15, 2018. If you'd like to learn more about any of this, just go to transadvocate.com. Okay, so we're back. And uh, I have a name for you. Mm-hmm. That name is RuPaul. Mm-hmm. And uh, here on the Trans Advocate, we've covered some RuPaul controversy before. Um, that controversy was situated around her use, or his use, of the term tranny in his, I guess it's a drag race, drag, what is it called? RuPaul's Drag, drag Race. Ru- yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, it, it, his show. And uh, basically our critique was, look, we get, I get it. I get it. I used to organize for the community, within the community, <laughs> something called the tranny queue. And that was, you know, going out before pride sometimes it was a camp out but basically it was building the float all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and so use of that word within the community has a context and within the community that context is known outside of the community that word has a context and Mm -hmm. outside the community that that context is known and if you are not aware if you have no awareness of that difference and you just presume that when you say tranny mm-hmm. in the context of a kind of an in-community joke and get some laughing mm-hmm. at the, the trans people they're laughing, well, they might be laughing at something different than what the cis people who are not part of that community is laughing at. Mm-hmm. And if you have no awareness of that, you can't acknowledge that, you can't even talk about it, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. So that was the, our critique. Well, uh, so there's this new issue, brand new issue, never before seen in our community. Daily. <laughs> <laughs> Except yesterday and the day before and the day so, before and the day before. So the issue, <laughs> the, the issue apparently is that RuPaul said, look, you know, maybe people who are taking hormones or having surgeries or are trans in that way mm-hmm. shouldn't compete. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought of a magazine article that I had sent to you, Alexis, from the 1960s. It was a, uh, it was the community having exactly that discussion. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Well, but where do you think RuPaul's background comes from? <laughs> <laughs> the, the 2018? No. I mean, I mean, it, it, there's, there's so many things in this whole thing that I, 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 I find amusing that we even bother to waste time on it. You know, first of all, so if you like labeling people, what mm. label do you give RuPaul? Mm-hmm. I give RuPaul the label that he's been on talk shows recently using. He says that when he's not dressed and he's out in life with his husband, he goes by he. And when he's being paid 
lots of great money to be a drag performer dressed as a female. He goes by she. Yeah, and part of the problem is, my opinion, the label that I give RuPaul mm-hmm. is a female impersonator. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. that term's been dropped because oh, we yeah, that we has a very specific... Stuff. Yeah, we did all sorts of stuff to sort of confuse things when people didn't want to have to remember two terms, like right. drag queen versus mm-hmm. female impersonator. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we started calling that same type it's all the of same person, thing. et cetera, mm-hmm. the same name, which was drag queen, but they're very different. I mean, it's sort of mm-hmm. like talking about everyone in the Republican Party being a Republican. No, they aren't. There's, there's really difference. So so if I look at it and I say, fine, RuPaul is a female impersonator. I love how we're using drag exa- politic examples for drag because it there gets very political in the drag world yes, too. Yes. Contest or contest, but people. But the female impersonator <laughs> version is exactly what I've seen RuPaul mm-hmm. be, act like, do mm-hmm. the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Now, then you have some people who don't understand that that name, title, label, whatever you want to call it, with a whole lot of stuff around it and tied to it, even existed. The history. And, and so and they yeah. suddenly... It's a very different context, it's too. totally different Totally context. different context. One is theatrical, you know, very, you know, this is this is my job. I dress up, and then I go home. And the intention yeah. for one is to have a performance, and the other mm. one is to live their life. And I've noticed that drag tends to be... Um, you know, a comical, but it usually has a biting critique mm-hmm. of some sort attached to it that I've not always seen in female impersonation. Well, it depends on what they are doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what it, do they do in female impersonation? It, well, if they're doing female impersonation, some of it is just like absolutely gorgeous costumes that you mm-hmm. would never mm-hmm. see anyone wear outside of Las Vegas, etc. They're doing various and sundry type performances that show skills like any other performer would show. Exactly. Okay. And so those that's kind of like but, her show. But they could be doing like political satire, okay. in which case mm-hmm. it would have a biting mm-hmm. edge to it. Right. Just like any other Drag comedian might do yeah. that. It might mm-hmm. be comedian. It might be burlesque. It could mm-hmm. be. And female impersonation yep. that is burlesque is totally mm-hmm. different than just straightforward female impersonation. In fact, I've yep. seen drama, etc. Yeah. Now, a lot of that has I've gone away. I've seen neo-burlesque. I've seen traditional burlesque. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the big thing about it is that I don't, I mean, those people are in the trans spectrum, but they're a totally different place than a lot of the people who are trying to sort of fit RuPaul into mm-hmm. the drag queen slash trans slash tranny, whatever you want to call it, area. I think it's a perfectly... Not legitimate, but a perfectly expected comment that, well, if you're taking hormones, that gives you an advantage, so maybe you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we sort of heard this in various athletic Like the Olympics? Yeah. And everything else. <laughs> and and, 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 and he, he made thing. that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my view is that you can also say it would be perfectly legitimate for RuPaul to say that, you, you know, you have to have never dressed as a female before when you start my show. Mm-hmm. That would be legit. Going from like complete scratch. Complete scratch uh, and just yeah. start from scratch and, mm-hmm. and you know, you work up to it. Mm-hmm. That would be reasonable. And and my mind, that's sort of the same as hormones, but you don't make it a, you know, an allegory for the way the trans community does things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because it has nothing to do with people who are living their lives that way, et cetera. Now, RuPaul has sort of changed now, his I, I, story several times. I, I want to <laughs> say, you know, RuPaul retracted a bit walked it back a bit and and wanted to show his 
solidarity with the trans community by sharing the trains pride flag. Mm-hmm. Not trans, trains. Uh-oh. Trains. Uh-oh. Yes. Yes, it's it's completely different flag. <laughs> Apparently. So what happens when you don't have a TV show editing RuPaul you. didn't know Uh-oh. what the trans pride Uh-oh. flag That's actually how like. I judge a politician, too, when they don't know how to say GLBT, where they're like, the G, the, uh, I'm not even, <laughs> like, like if, you can't get first, if you can't get through the first letters, you don't know us. <laughs> I'm not asking you to know the whole alphabet. <laughs> But you're going to have to roll that off your tongue a few times before you get to a mic. Like, no, and, no. And, and yeah, and the advanced version is you have to be able to say it in several different orders. Because <laughs> exactly. Where you GLBT, are, LGBT, LGBT, LGBT. Yes. And then whether yes. you add the Q or Q, Q or Q, yes. Q, I, Q. Yes. I mean, you know. I then you're just singing our song. But, like, if you can't say the first few, I'm a little worried about your knowledge. And if you were in our community, what is going on? <laughs> but, but there's inner conflict like i've had tons of g's and l's come up to me and just authentically say i've had you know they don't know a lot around transsexuals Mm -hmm. i'm using you can't see the scare quotes (laughs) true transsexuals they're like oh i'm a real transsexual i can't be associated with anyone that's not a true transsexual yeah. They gave me the creeps personally, but <laughs> having the said that, people are talking about. <laughs> having said that, I thought they were just put on earth to be messed with. <laughs> well, and Eddie Izzard, that's how he was starting to come out, and he created this whole platform of like, I am a fabulous transsexual, not a creepy transsexual. Well, he, like, there's he was a saying difference. Transvestite. transvestite. I'm an executive yes. transvestite. There you go. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And now, now he's just completely out. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and so, you know, my, my, my whole thing has always been because of where I came from, you know, coming into advocacy. I mean, if you've got people dying around you left and right, it doesn't fucking matter mm-hmm. if you're a true transsexual mm-hmm. or your drag queen mm-hmm. or your gay man or right. whatever fucking label you use right. because you're not in the People non-heteronormative community right. that you're queer. Uh-huh. That didn't matter. Right. And whenever I went to my, one of my first uh, groups here in Houston, mm-hmm. um, it was run by a, a heterosexual mm-hmm. drag queen, a intersex woman who was transitioning and a transsexual mm-hmm. and sounds like houston yeah that that's totally houston so it it always yep. strikes me as weird it feels weird mm-hmm. whenever we get these battles going on within the community about who can be included who mm-hmm. needs to be excluded um, you know, that kind of stuff, it just feels really antithetical to right. my experience of my community. Yeah. Back to what Alexis was saying is like, why do we give time to this? You know, it's, that's, it's important self-care to just even see if like, how invested are you? You know, RuPaul's still breathing. He's fine. His show, <laughs> his show's on like the 11th season. Is this all controversy to keep it going for more? I mean, you know, that's a it, really good point. As it turns out, I mean, because he knows by now what to say, what not to say, and sure. how to be an ally. And as it turns out, Alexis and I just went to the RuPaul Drag Race Queen show when they were in town. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, RuPaul's sidekick on the show, 
was emceeing for the show. And she was actually a really big, um, loving, she can be like catty and fabulous and like Michelle, uh, is the top diva of fashion Mm. on the show. But on stage, she was saying like, Hey, let's all be allies of one another. Let's all come together. Let's all have a good night. Let's all, you know, no one's going to be perfect. You Mm -hmm. know, it's been a tough year. Let's not turn against ourselves in community. We need to give each other room and space. We always have needed to give each other room and space, you know, to occupy the same Mm -hmm. room and realize where the real problems are. Right. That it's not us, you know. And so come together. Like that was her message as of three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) And and you knew for a fact that they actually were drag performers because Mm -hmm. the show started 45 minutes late. (laughs) (laughs) Alexis and I had our own checklist. So I bought the tickets going, okay, well, if there are, if there's this level of performer coming through town, we have a lot of diverse drag queens in Houston that you can see weekly. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see some new queens at this level, at the RuPaul level. The idea is that they win the race and then they go on this world tour. Mm-hmm. And they're still drag queens. So we have a like, yeah, you know you're at a drag show when they start late. They still have an intermission. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and there's a strong suspicion that they just stopped and went ahead and started the show rather than actually get the stage completely ready. Because, yes. because yes. frequently they're looking for something yes. that's not there. And, yes. And then even though the show goes on, like some of the tech in the background is not mm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. the sound is, even though you're at a real, we were at like Jones the, Hall. Yeah, we were at Jones Hall. It's a really nice place where people perform like really great music. Uh-huh. Their system is blaring out with their track music. <laughs> like, like some queen gave them an MP3 and like it doesn't match with their sound system. Like, you know, and not to say that it wasn't a good show, just was, to say like these fun, things we know? have yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. felt at home seeing these things before. I mean, but the, you know, but that's all part of the flavor of drag and certainly the flavor of drag that I've known in our community. Mm-hmm. That's all part and parcel of it. And, and I can tell you that it's much more fun if you go with a whole lot of drag performers. Yeah. And everyone else is just cheering in that. They're looking at details of the technique. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and almost in concert, our entire row would shake their head. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. oh that and, one was a myth. And, and, and the yeah. aerials, it was like, oh, God, she's oh, going to fall. This oh, is God. not a stable thing. Yeah. Okay, you know. so, yeah, I think we're in agreement with the yeah. RuPaul thing that possibly... It seems interesting that this has produced a lot of mm-hmm. press for that particular show, and it's what eleventh season. Yes, and I mean, just like the Caitlyn Jenner show, like <sighs> she's not our leader. She <laughs> no. she created two seasons of a show that showed that. But uh-huh. the cool thing is, is that she. I, I mean, what I appreciated about her was she was willing to constantly be critiqued. Mm-hmm. She was willing, like, come on, we ran, we ran amok through what she didn't do right, what she tried to do right. And, and then what the community is really about that actually gives a lot of talking points. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate RuPaul for the same thing. Like he does bring a lot of fashion. He does have a standard on a show. He did have a, um, a drag performer named Peppermint who mm-hmm. was an out trans uh, identified performer and then he even had like a segue on the show where they talked to peppermint about this like what's your different like what's your experience 
And are there any differences in the drag community before you're on the show um, between you and the other queens when you're at home Mm -hmm. and between you and the queens when you're here as a trans person, as somebody who is trans identified, who's taking hormones. And for her, what she said was, and this is, this is what I found when I was running a drag troupe for a decade in, in Houston was there's a lot of mix of people. You sometimes people start hormones, stop hormones. Sometimes they get implants, they take them out. Sometimes it's just better than pads. It doesn't change their identity mm-hmm. as a gay person. They're mm-hmm. still a gay person that just gets paid better is what some of them will say, <laughs> you know, um, they're not trans. Right. But then for her, she always knew she wanted that trans label, that trans title, like her identity is trans. And so you're saying that they don't themselves identify as trans. Not always. I mean, mm. I, I saw quite a few Queens in Houston taking hormones to feminize themselves, but they, they still identify as gay men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when they're dressed, you, you call them she because they're working it. They get mm. paid better and they look better and they're more convincing. You know, yeah. back to the female impersonator but almost. It, I know, bet. it goes back to my favorite thing. You know, we're confusing, not confused. And yeah. we're right. confusing. Of and, course. And <laughs> a, a, if you're there to perform, you have a job to do. You have a audience that you're critiquing yourself to, to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to know your crowd. Or you're not going to continue to get your bookings. Just like Rue has to know mm-hmm. his station or he's not continue to get his viewers. Like right. if you're curating a certain thing to be out there in the world, you're going to shape it in a certain way. And they have every right to shape it that way. And some people do a multi-mixed show. Some people do a very traditional show, you know, and you are labeled what you are labeled when you walk out and live your life. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what Peppermint was saying was, is I don't just leave it on stage I found that on stage I was who I wanted to be and I continue to be that. So mm-hmm. therefore I can consider myself trans. Yeah, I've, I've noticed I, I've had several people who identi- are trend, you know, trans identified uh, that went on to transition, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of got their start hanging out with the queens because mm-hmm. that's, you know, the closest thing that they could find in 1990 mm-hmm. that reflected somewhat of what they were trying to figure out for themselves for me the crowd that i hung mm-hmm. out with was a uh, rocky horror picture show <laughs> oh, back in the uh. 80s which to be fair i was thinking about that like you know a lot of people had a really big problem Uh-oh. with, with, with i got trans yeah. i just realized it uh, you said it <laughs> <laughs> well when Laverne Cox was on Rocky Horror, a lot of people said that was really controversial because, uh, hello, how I, do you replace I love the original? But, but how do you, yeah, but you love Laverne. I, I love her, but <laughs> everything then, you need it, to know about that reinterpretation of Rocky Horror Picture Show is that he was where. And then it's like a TV show versus a movie, right? So, so. Uh, Rocky's creation <laughs> was wearing golden boxer shorts. Uh-huh. Boxer shorts. Uh-huh. So that's that's what you need to know about uh-huh. that how how uh you know out there and you know railing against stereotypes and pushing the envelope that version was. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered what kind of a uh strange set of chemicals they used in creating Rocky with clothing. <laughs> 
Right. I mean, you know, this is really yeah. sophisticated. Well, and I've been to some live performances where there the Rocky is a female mm-hmm. and she's wearing gold oh, yeah. lame yeah, yeah, and yeah. she has, you know, uh, a large chest and dancing around and there's tons of, course, of cis yeah. guys in the crowd oh, yeah. watching her. Like yeah. and I'm like Wait a minute, this is a completely different feel. Well, no, I mean, the when the, back in the 80s, um, you know, the person that did Frankenfurter about half mm-hmm. the time was a cis woman. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I, I mean, I think Rocky Horror, especially since they started doing Shadowcast, etc., has always been into the you don't have to be any specific thing exactly. to play a character. Exactly. And, and there's no specific of, yeah. way to play a character. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. always suspected it's because it can't be done that way. They just do whatever they can do. And, right. Exactly. Right. right. Which, which is like the different layers of community theater where it's a hobby versus mm-hmm. like, I don't know, RuPaul primetime TV. But mm-hmm. there was there was like a TV version with Laverne Cox in it that wasn't the movie version. Is that right? Um, I don't know. I mean, there was a TV version that Laverne Cox did that was a TV version. Okay. Um, And I think that there have been various iterations of, you know, trying to reboot it or Mm -hmm. redo it. And then shock treatment was just awful. Right. Um, I thought. You know, there there are times when... It doesn't work. You just need to say, "Well, that didn't work." <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, right. you, you so know, sometimes that, it's the platform and the level of commitment, and sometimes it's the words you use around it, and sometimes it's like, no matter what you do, it could be really awesome. And in your mind, and, well, <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say, like, you know, take the case of the um, the Wasowski siblings. Wachowski. Sorry, Wachowski siblings? Wachowski. Yeah, okay. We can do that five times. And they started off as brothers, and now they're trans sisters. Uh They made The Matrix, and then they made Sense8. And Sense8 is an awesome series. Mm -hmm. Now, there's so many people who like it, but Netflix started saying, oh, actually, a lot of people don't like it. So they wrote in, and they saw an overwhelming response about how many people who did like it. And they said, okay, well, actually, we just don't have the money for the budget, because in this series they fly to all different forms of the country like all different countries right and then then they were like well what if we fundraise to keep it going uh because we really like this series and there's a lot of people who like it so you have your fans and then you have your budget and they said well i don't think a lot of people can keep interest with this type of topic for that long Mm. (laughs) being the older person here and i just wonder how the siblings are taking all this they're like fine we're gonna cap it off and come come up with something else that's great like i I remember a show that was taken off the air a long time ago uh, when i was in college actually because nobody liked it Mm -hmm. it it, you know just wasn't getting any viewership and all of the ratings agencies said it was horrible and in fact they had a number that, that was how many people watch it Ah, and it uh-huh. was a pretty small number to be really blunt. Right. Uh-huh. And so they took it off the air and they found that they had something like 20 times the number of people <laughs> write in that supposedly watched it. Uh-huh. Because then they figured out that the rating folks just missed college huh. people. <laughs> and so then they put Star Trek back on. <laughs> and, I knew it was something. <laughs> and, and it's been around for a while. Yeah. Oh, just a little while. And, and you know, and There's it's funny because that, that, that really did happen. Mm-hmm. The only people they watched was the, uh, you know, the, the, the mother, fa- the only people they, they uh, polled were the mother, father, two kids, 
family at home on their home TV, the one TV it. there. Yeah. Well, they never watched Star Trek. Yeah. But everybody that went to college, college kids are like, <laughs> know, bring it. Watched it religiously. Well, I, I want to bring this discussion to a end uh, while we pause for Gwen Smith's Gender Nation. Gender Nation is a bi-weekly trans advocate column by the founder of the Transgender Day of Remembrance, Gwendolyn Ann Smith. An Oscar win while RuPaul fails. The Academy Awards, which has been beset with calls for greater diversity in recent years, was nevertheless the site of a landmark victory for a transgender Chilean as the movie A Fantastic Woman won for Best Foreign Language Film. The movie is the first to feature a transgender story and a transgender actor in a lead role. The movie stars Daniela Vega, a 28-year-old actress from Chile. In it, Vega plays Marina, a waitress whose relationship with a divorcee turns tragic, leaving the police to probe her involvement in his death. Daniela Vega also was the first openly transgender person to present at the event. Introducing Sofjan Stevens' performance of Mystery of Love. The song was featured in the movie Call Me By Your Name. It won in the Best Adapted Screenplay category. Also nominated this year was black trans man Yance Ford for directing the documentary Strong Island. In recent years, the award ceremony has come under fire due to a lack of representation of people of colour and women in films. And this year was no exception. While the ceremony has made some steps to be more inclusive, issues were still raised over screeners' response to Get Out, a film by Jordan Peele not being Oscar-worthy. Additionally, recent issues with sexism in Hollywood, most notably disgraced producer and accused sexual predator Harvey Weinstein, were a notable sidebar to the evening. This would not be the first Academy Award winner to explore transgender themes. While not a transgender storyline, Some Like It Hot was nominated for six Academy Awards and won one in 1960 for its tale of a pair of men who escaped the St. Valentine's Day massacre by joining an all-female musician troupe, inadvertently creating the fodder for decades of cross-dressing to deceive storylines that helped lay the groundwork for any number of stereotypes around transgender people. Tootsie, which continued this man-dressed-as-a-woman-to-deceive trope, continued to be an Oscar favourite in 1993, with seven nominations and one victory in 1983, followed by a Best Makeup win for 1993's Mrs Doubtfire. None of these three films truly explore transgender characters, treating the subject as little more than a gag. In more recent years, storylines featuring actual transgender characters took to the forefront, including Hilary Swank's Best Actress win in 2000 for portraying transgender male Brandon Tina, Jared Leto's 2014 Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his portrayal of a trans woman named Rayan in Dallas Buyers Club, and Eddie Redmayne's 2016 nomination for Best Actor for The Danish Girl, a highly fictionalised retelling of the life story of Lily Elbe. None of the above featured were transgender actors, with Leto in particular criticised for his insensitivity towards transgender people. The win for A Fantastic Woman also follows the 2016 loss for Tangerine, which featured black trans woman Maya Taylor in the lead role portraying a trans woman. RuPaul Fails the eponymous host of RuPaul's Drag Race once again showed a startling insensitivity towards transgender people in a recent interview featured in The Guardian. 
In it, RuPaul was asked about whether women should be part of Drag Race, with RuPaul put off by the idea, replying, Drag loses its sense of danger and its sense of irony once it's not men doing it, because at its core it's a social statement and a big FU to male-dominated culture. So for men to do it, it's really punk rock, because it's a real rejection of masculinity. When pressed about having transgender contestants on Drag Race, RuPaul remained reluctant, saying, You can identify as a woman and say you're transitioning, but it changes once you start changing your body. It takes on a different thing. It changes the whole concept of what we're doing. We've had some girls who've had some injections in the face and maybe a little bit in the butt here and there, but they haven't transitioned. Facing criticism, RuPaul doubled down on Twitter, comparing trans women competing on the show with Olympic athletes who use performance-enhancing drugs. This, plus the initial comments, led to an outcry, including from past Drag Race contestants. In the show's run, five contestants have come out as transgender, including two, Monica Beverly Hills and Peppermint, during the show itself. In response to the continued controversy, RuPaul finally backed down, posting on Twitter, Each morning I pray to set aside everything I think I know, so I may have an open mind and a new experience. I understand and regret the hurt I have caused. The transgender community are heroes of our shared LGBTQ movement. You are my teachers. He then followed it with a second tweet, saying, In the ten years we've been casting Drag Race, the only thing we've ever screened for is charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent, and that will never change. The latter tweet was accompanied by an image later noted as Train Landscape, a painting by Ellsworth Kelly, perhaps chosen by accident when attempting to find a trans-specific image to accompany the message. This is not the first time RuPaul has shown to be critical of transgender people. In 2014, RuPaul was under fire for having a female or shemale game on Drag Race, as well as using You've Got Shemale as a recurring catchphrase on the show. The term shemale is widely viewed as a slur within the transgender community. RuPaul had also defined the use of another term, tranny, saying that fringe people were upset over the use of the term and were looking for storylines to strengthen their identity as victims. The term has caused a lot of consternation in trans circles, with many considering it a slur. The term was also dropped from use on Drag Race. It remains to be seen if this current apology will lead to real change for RuPaul, or if we will once again see further issues down the line. Only time will tell. All right, so we're back. Thank you, Gwen Smith. I love her stuff. So, Alexis? I'm being looked at, but I was just going to sit here. I can't do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. That's as long as I can stay quiet. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the things where we sort of take on our own communities and, and uh. beat ourselves up some. The, the thing, I guess, mm. that gets me is how the people who aren't exactly trans, and a lot of this is in the gay community. What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, they, they, they aren't trans, but they're alternative. They're in the GOBTQI. Keep going. Are they in the okay. like, non-binary so that, that, that group of, right. of, gotcha. of letters, etc., frequently decide that the other groups aren't legitimate, that, that they, they don't really deserve the same things. And that seems mm. to be coming back these days. Mm. I, I thought we'd mostly gotten rid of it. Can but, you give a for, for instance so people know what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, you know. Because I, I know what you're talking yeah. about. But I mean, a, a few years ago, it was quite obvious that 
uh, various leaders of the gay community didn't feel like that the trans community needed equality. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephen Dean, the guy who started HRC, you know, he was he's he infamously said that in order for gay people to have equal rights, we need to hide the drag queens. Mm, that sounds like that political. You know, drag queens are game. really hard to hide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you. So, I'm never worried about a drag queen. <laughs> yeah, they, they are not going to sneak up on you at night. <laughs> but yeah, and and one of the big things about it is, but they never raise money based on that. Mm. They always went out and said, "Oh, we're for everybody. We're mm-hmm. representing everyone," because they sure wanted the money from yeah. the transgender. Lee I, Brewster, I by the way, Lee Brewster, performing. who paid for the North American Homophile Association meetings, who paid for the Mattachine Society, who funded the legal fights pre Stonewall in uh, New York, and, and the the actual final lawsuits that got most of the laws thrown out after Stonewall. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, it's actually that trans people are riding on the coattails of quote gay people. Oh, exactly, yeah. and and that sort of came about after Stonewall. But that's that's ancient hist- ancient history. But now it almost seems like we and we being the broad community, rather than we being the trans community, are just looking for somebody that's easier to beat up on. And and honestly, I think it's it, it's it's almost like look. You want to beat up on people? There's people that hate all of us. Mm-hmm. Let go, me ask a question. Go beat up on them. Mm-hmm. They're hard so, to beat up on, though, because they're going to beat up back. So <laughs> they're going to do, challenge do you. you. Did you perceive that this was a bigger problem pre-Trump or after Trump? It, it's sort of interesting. It had been tapering off. And, mm. and by that, I mean it had been getting better regularly. Uh, it seemed like, yeah, we're, we're sort of accepting mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. and people are more accepting, et cetera. When, when the whole Trump mess started happening— mm. You would think that we would sort of come together and defend against a lot of the things that are coming out of the Trump administration and a lot of his rhetoric and and the people that he supports. That's not what happened. Hmm. What we started doing was turning around and fighting with each other. Ah. And it seems to be increasing well, there. That's that's what progressives do. Oh, you, apparently. You, yeah. No, no, no. That's what we always do. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, like we, we, we say we're not... You know, we we want to limit gun use, but we we have a long and proud history of shooting ourselves in the foot. That's kind of what we do. Yeah, and the the, the term progressive, I keep asking people what it means because the last time I saw a definition of it was the 1934 version, which I don't think is what they really mean. No, no, mean. no, no. What what we mean is non-regressive. Yeah, when, what does that mean? So we can, we can play what does it mean game. Right. I'm starting to feel like a seven year old kid. That says, well, Who's on why? first? Why? Why? <laughs> Who's on first? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you so you perceived that for a while um, we weren't you know backstabbing or you know going after each other as much that that was settling down as the years went on and now since Trump. Um, it, it's like, okay, now, now we have to really, you know, since the screws are being put on us, you know, the people who are really concerned about respectability politics and, um, you know, Hey, I'm not like those weirdos over there. I want 2.3 children in a white picket fence. And I'm, I'm just like you. Mm -hmm. I am not one of we are, you know, you're not, are you saying, are you talking to, to about that degree, from non To some degree, but it, it's, 
to me, it's almost like you don't want to take on the white supremacist because maybe you're afraid of it. I don't know. So oh, you take it's, on. It's easier to pick on your own community yeah. and micromanage so, so them find somebody that's slightly than it is different to go after you, the problem. And you just attack them because you've been mm. attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 mm. it's almost well, like since I've been attacked, I got I have to attack everyone else, I t- but I don't want to attack I, the people. I have really a theory about that. I have uh-huh. a theory about that. And my theory is that Trump's uh, ascendance to power has brought up a huge new crop of brand new activists. And what I've noticed about brand new activists is they know everything about everything. And they know that everything is being done wrong. And uh, they are happy to invest 90% of their energy into, you know, showing people how it should be done, how it could be done, not actually doing anything, but, you know, and I, I know that this is not like every new activist out there. But the stereotype exists for a reason. <laughs> yes, and, and, and I think that's correct because a lot of people have newly decided they have to become active. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's because they feel like they've been attacked, and they have. Sure, they're, yes. They're, they're, that, that part's legitimate. But it's like several times in the last few years, I've had discussions with people about us needing to stop, excuse me, stop attacking our allies and start attacking our enemies. Well, that's harder but because ha- our enemies attack back. But wait a second. Isn't is this not going on in the Republican Party right now? I mean, aren't they not facing the same issue? You know, you've got all the infighting going on with the Trump Trumpers, and you've got the rise of the alt right who are attacking the um, establishment, uh, establishment Republicans, um, all of that. They on their side, they have something akin to this too, don't they? They do. And the difference, I think, is that they actually tend to back away from each other. They do a little attack, and then they they don't follow through with anything. They don't go to an accomplishment or anything mm-hmm. else. And I, I think it's all fine to point out, and and I believe you're correct that the people who maybe don't have our best interest in mind are attacking each other. Mm. But why do we have to decide that we have to do the same thing they're doing? Right. Yeah. And, and that seems to be what a lot of it is. It's like, well, you know, they're attacking the people that instead of cooperating. It, it, it's like if I look at the Democratic Party. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sorry. Every time I think about the Democratic Party, I, I have it to chuckle. It feels like Sorry. the trans community. I mean, it really does. It, it, it's like you, you try to you know, get anything done and organize, and that just doesn't seem to be the strong point of that community. So so how much of this is, you know, party-oriented or identity-oriented, and how much of it is just human-oriented? I mm. don't think most of it is human-oriented. Okay. Because I know lots of people that have been successful in saying, okay, let's work together and get this thing done. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that works fine. So would you say it's, like, generational or seasonal or I, the lack of... I think of- it has to... Something. I think it's sociological. Okay. Okay. How so? There are certain things that when society is stressed, Uh Mm -hmm. they start reacting. Oh. There's a famous experiment where they put rats into a cage and electrified the field. And what they do, instead of trying to help each other out of the cage, they attack each other. Exactly. And 
and that happens a lot and it, it feels like that's what's going on okay now the logical thing would be to attack the people who are causing you problems exactly uh-huh. but it doesn't seem like that's what we're doing we're, we're attacking each other and a lot of it is because it's easier well, I, I relate I, to that a lot, though. Yeah. I, I, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, I really, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess it, here's where I insert my own personal experience. But sure. like, no, I mean, I as came. As a millennial. As a millennial. <laughs> uh, in 2008, I was around our transgender center mm-hmm. and I taught yoga there and I saw mm-hmm. all sorts of different identities there. Sure. It was really awesome. I don't think a lot of people have exposure to that access of a, of a community group and I felt great to be there, and and I saw a lot of people dealing with the economy crash. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. underemployed, and sometimes they had more uh, education than the people that were getting the jobs just simply because they were trans. They weren't being hired. Right. Uh-huh. So I saw some hardship happening on different levels, one because of the economy and one because of maybe their identity. And then I, I did also see, like, in a small group of people, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, you're a trans woman because you have hormones and you're not a trans woman because you're not on hormones. Okay, I get it. And it's like there wasn't a lot of education to come mm. from or a same page to come from. And that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to write the gender book is in the in the community, we were not on our same page about what identities were. <laughs> and we you know, so, took a lot of time to educate ourselves. How could you have the outside community be like, able to employ okay, trans people. along these same lines yeah what happened to you sure when you published an uh-huh. image of an umbrella right our first image from the gender book was the trans umbrella and we um launched into our new website and overnight we went to sleep like good little people and woke <laughs> up and had a ton of responses on this Were trans umbrella <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> And, and as it, as it, as it was happening, I was part of a drag performance troupe that was doing a couple, a couple numbers for the guy's top surgery fundraiser Mm -hmm. benefit. And some friends came from Austin and said, well, we really, really know that you have the best in mind. We really know that you guys are great people and you know, you have skill set and you're putting good intention and you're not educators, but you're willing to put a little bit of education there. But man, the way people are coming at you, we're just real sorry. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I hadn't heard anything. <laughs> and I said, well, what are you going to say something to kind of stick up for yourself? And I was like, uh, any minute. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and in the drag community, we have all these like sweaty ones that are along a pool table. And I'm like unfolding them for like the nickels these top surgeries, you know, are going to get. Like, it's ridiculous, right? And and I said, listen, you tell me who's coming for us and I'll go handle it. This is the type of person I am. And they said, well, it's on Tumblr. And I said, you tell me who Tumble is and I'll handle it. You know? And so I, I went back. you like being attacked by right, something you don't even right. know exists? I don't know, right? So I went back to uh, Jay the writer and Mel the illustrator. And I said, listen, there's this thing called Tumble. And, uh, and apparently like we're getting a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. And so Mel figured out in the electronic world that this is a new social media platform. And he, uh-huh. he opened it up and saw over 200 critiques of, you know, well, what do they mean by this image? And why are they putting this label <laughs> under that? And, and it was really great. You could take the feedback and make it into constructive feedback. And that's mm-hmm. how we started designing some of our pages. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, that really furthered the project. 
you know, but that doesn't mean that as a gender performer, similar to what we were talking about with RuPaul, that I haven't had my own, are you trans enough conversations? Mm. Do you belong mm. here? You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I wasn't introduced as here's Robin, the only cis female in the room by, <laughs> by some leadership that was trans identified. Like that doesn't mean that I haven't had my own inner community, like, uh, missings, you know? And last week after I left the podcast, there was a, um, workshop in Houston that just got funded by the Houston uh, Arts Alliance. The Houston Mm. Arts Alliance funds a lot of these conversations to keep them going in an artistic way. And I appreciate them for that. And one of the things that they funded was a a sort of a storytelling group for people who failed to conform. So it's perfect after our conversation of, do you get to choose how people perceive you and and would you still have your queer label either way? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at a table full of people that are queer identified. Uh-huh. They all look very different. Uh-huh. They're all using the pronouns pretty much name only or they, them, you know? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. in the first time for, for in my life, uh, apparently it was 2018 of last week, <laughs> I sat around <laughs> and I saw other queers that were queer identified uh-huh. unapologetically using they, them pronouns, had uh-huh. no problems of what that meant or how to use it interchangeably. And they're still dealing with like how do you go to the lesbian bar and hook up with people and be understood <laughs> and we're like oh that's cute we did that too you know? <laughs> and they're like well if we just had this thing called a drag trip we're like that didn't solve anything but it was a lot of fun and then it's like well okay if we just have this book that stays around the genderbook.com you can download it for free you can buy the book like you have all sorts of options because our community likes diversity and and surely if we have an education tool this will make it okay right Mm. and what we find is is people still want to talk about what do those expressions look like and how do they play out that's particular for me and my life and my community Mm. and my employer because Mm. i don't have time to understand everyone's alphabet soup Mm. i just need to know what my soup is going to taste like, how I'm going to digest that, and am I going to be okay to move on each day, right? And it's hard per person to dissect that. So mm-hmm. I think that's why we have to have all these conversations. Well, and very few people get to the point where they decide, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really right. matter. Uh-huh. And, and uh-huh. you know, I've sort of gotten there, and, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's funny because a lot of times, you know, I meet someone, something's mm-hmm. different, and it truly just doesn't matter. It really matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've called Alexis in, you know, because you're right, new advocacy equals new uh, possible 501c3s or possible mm-hmm. groups doing mm-hmm. something or mm-hmm. whatever, and, and it's like, and then they get their inner conflict and their turmoil because they're human beings trying to collaborate, and it's like, who do you trust, and, you know, who's dating who, and who's doing what, and who's, who's taking what, and implanting what, and hormoning what, like, it's all all that, Again, right? progressive yeah. group, shooting yeah. self and Exactly. Foot. I call Alexis, is this even something for me to pay attention to? She goes, is it really the problem? I'm like, no. <laughs> She's like, there's other problems. That's right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know? I call her again. I get real marked up. Like, I don't even know so-and-so. Why does this matter? Is that, is that really the problem? No. You know? And you just, there's plenty of problems, you know, and our checklist is, is, uh, are you a politician that's wanting to kill me? No. Am I indirect threat? You know, and then the other stuff is pretty human. Yeah, and then, then it's like, okay, so I can listen now okay. as, a, as opposed to defend. So just a little yeah. background about Houston, because we're we're 
from the Houston trans community. This is our perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've always had a fairly, really well-integrated community, except when, like, West Coast influences came to Houston and fucked things up within the trans community. And it took us some time to get back to, uh, you know, being a community. Uh, but in Houston, in Houston, Texas, in the 80s, when cops were killing members of the queer community, mm-hmm. you know, it was real easy for us to look around and go, okay, they're the assholes. Right. They're the ones, they're the people over there right. that want to destroy our lives. Right. We knew, we know who they are. Right. And therefore we know who we are. It's very simple. And I think that that is one thing that as difficult as that has always been, that uh, the gift of that is that it was, a, I think, a little more easy mm-hmm. to... Uh, organize Mm -hmm. here in the Houston context, as opposed to like San Francisco, where I went there, I lived there for, oh, I don't know, six, eight months. uh, And in the mid 2000s, and the the group there split apart because it it, it could only be a transsexual group. Mm -hmm. And you had to prove that you're a transsexual. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can't have any of these cross-dressers coming in on our space. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like a whole bunch of fucking nonsense of people who are bored and don't, don't have anything better to do. Yeah. And so that's the perspective that I've come from. And so do you feel like it's well, getting... You know, I mean, I think a big part of it, the, obviously, the idea that trying to be exclusive rather than inclusive is, is happening a lot more. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of it on the West Coast and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work, and they'll eventually oh, get God, tired no. of it. Right. No, you know, no. Because, right. It's just a lot of wasted the, effort. The real problem, which I, I totally enjoy seeing, is when someone is an absolute exclusive, you know, I'm the only true whatever, or I'm <laughs> one of the only true whatever, they then find that their life changes and they're now different. Now, <laughs> and, fre- and frequently they're what they said they weren't <laughs> and didn't want to be. And, and, and I always find that really amusing. And you yeah. know, usually I'll find some way to point it out. But I, I think the other thing about it that happens is that something occurs like what you were talking about in Houston. So some groups here were formed that were effectively taking care of that. Mm-hmm. The GOBT political caucus essentially put politicians at risk that didn't go the right way right and this was sort of a new thing for politicians to to not be able to just beat up on us and and say whatever because Mm -hmm. next election they might not be right and so that was sort of cool and then you know there were some other groups that did support type things with working with the police and working with hospitals and working with all these things okay those all start working then what happens is someone in our community says Oh, well, I'm sure they're making tons of money. Not knowing that there's not a penny that's going anywhere in here. <laughs> nope. This is not how to get rich. Oh, I let mean- me tell you something. I was on Twitter the other day or whatever, and someone was like, yeah, oh, that's right. They were like, oh, oh, and how much money do you get for sitting there and tweeting all this stuff out? And I'm thinking, what? Yeah, their perception oh, yeah. of the trans now, advocate is so skewed. Part of the problem is that there are groups that make a lot of money on this. Oh, yes, right. yes, yes, and, yes. And that sort of hey, thing. Hey, Jersey. So, so what happens is 
what happens is you then get the group that says, well, if they can make money at it, I can. So let's mm. start it mm-hmm. and let's go attack them. Ah. No, not build our own base, not do anything mm-hmm. else. Let's mm-hmm. just sort of attack them. That's usually mm-hmm. what I'm making mm-hmm. phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and start you know, trying to build this up. That's sort of okay from my point of view, but normally what happens is a few weeks or months into it, they then decide that it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they just go poop. So now all yeah. you have is you've had something disrupted. You have uh-huh. people who are confused. You've had uh-huh. people that think maybe it was promised by group A that was there first, but it was really promised by group mm-hmm. F that mm-hmm. came in later or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're all left hanging. So then we start to get the, the reputational problems or people go to an event that doesn't oh, actually Oh, y'all are exist. all flakes. Yeah, pretty right. much. Mm-hmm. That, and, that would be and whether it. you're group A, B, or C, you're still in our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, there, there's all of that kind of infighting that happens. And you just want to say, you know, couldn't we sort of like coordinate a little bit? Just, just a little. We don't have to coordinate. <laughs> but it's not like some of us didn't try all along. Uh, yeah. And th- I think this is what happens when you have like a population issue. You know, I mm. mean, if you're just a small town, small population, one trans person. It's like, okay, cool. So we know Sarah and she's still fine with her wife. Yay. (laughs) That she's a good Christian. It's all good. Right. But if you get like groups of people, you start getting silos and there's lots of, you know, safety in silos. There's lots of comfort in silos, but there's also a lot of conflict when you try to bridge those gaps between Uh them, you uh know? And I, I think, I think that that's just what happens. And I don't, think houston is perfect so i always do let people know like we've all had our experiences we just learned to Mm -hmm. work through them together Mm -hmm. whether it's race or generation or identity and it takes time right it definitely takes time Mm -hmm. um but you know i think i think we do pretty well at it and it's possible yeah and the perfect side i I never even considered that we might be but no but but, but, i mean it could come off as like houston's better than some other places. I think and we are like, better than some yeah, other places. I, I, I agree. We are yeah. and, 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 and that's the key. And it's not easy. It's not smooth. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, everybody's just, you know, in love with everyone else. Right. And no. and that, but it's... That's, that's the perfect, I mean, we're not. You yeah. Know? yeah. And it's like, sorry, that's right. not the way it is. Do right. we have big arguments? Yes. Mm-hmm. But we tend to try to do the adult type arguments mm-hmm. as opposed to just name calling and screaming and the other side saying, I have no clue what you're upset about. Could you at least tell right. me, you know, right. that sort of stuff. There's a lot of distance between all so, of us that helps keep with the fighting. Okay. And stuff. So the, the yeah. issues that you're seeing, what can be done to, um, to deal with it? it I, is it that these are a bunch of new people who have lots of energy and needs that energy focused in more productive ways, or is it just something that's happening as to us as a community at at resulting from Trump's ascension to power, and some people in the communities need to try to distance themselves from us because they perceive that we are uh, somehow holding them back a little bit of the very last part but Mm. i think that what we're seeing is number one as you said a lot of new people who want to be activists want to do things now the the thing that happens with new people a lot of times is that they don't look around to see what's been done and build on top of what's been done they take the approach that oh everything's new nobody's ever thought of this before but you know i want to be honest with you that was me whenever i came into the community I mean, I, I had all these ideas about how things should be done and, and how right. things would be done and everything. And fortunately, 
there were people in the community that went, oh, we're glad to have you. And these are the things that we need you to work on. And by the way, here's the stuff that's already done, but you can maybe make it better. Exactly. That's what, that last little part is what is missing in an awful lot of places. Mm. Uh, Basically, they either blow off the new people or they get upset because the new people are, you know, not, not in basically not giving them credit for what has been done in the past and these sorts of things. But I still think that that's because of the general uh, stress in our general in our communities, et cetera. I think it's it's just mm. one of the responses to stress that, that people do, and so I think we have to be a lot more careful with that. Uh, you know, we we have some new people doing some things with some of our organizations, mm-hmm. and it it's funny because especially if it's like late at night and I get a text and they're like, oh, this is great. You guys never thought of this, et cetera. And I'm sort of like, we've done it for 20 years. <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, I frequently have to be careful how I word it uh-huh. so that it's a positive as opposed to a negative because I, right. I, you know, I could throw in some, you know, things with that. And the response is positive and they come up with some other stuff that's like, oh yeah, that's really great. I mean, mm. that, that would be worth a try if you all want to do it. And, and I think, the people who've been around need to bring that in. And then mm-hmm. we hope that the brand new people start to figure out that, Hey, you know, working together actually can work and does work. Mm-hmm. Sort of like trans mentorship. Yeah. yeah. The, trans the other, mentorship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing mm-hmm. about it that is very interesting is that an awful lot of the new people coming into activism believe that it has to be perfect. Your candidate has to be perfect. Yikes. The group has to be perfect. Yeah. There, there can't it be... takes about five years to get over that. Yes, it does. And we don't have five years. So yeah. we, we have to some way or other get them past that. Mm. Because, you know, one little tiny misstep and mm-hmm. suddenly you go from being the knight in shining armor to, you know, the devil incarnate. Yes. And, and it's like... <laughs> right. All they said was something that could have been a sneeze. I but mean, come on. Seriously, that uh, that what you're talking about is one of the big systemic issues within progressive ethics, like mm-hmm. um, how to do things, how to make things happen, how to engage with people, how to organize for progressives. Whether you're talking about nowadays or back in uh, when working to form labor unions or whatever there's always been this problem of you have to be perfect 100 percent of the time all the time always walk on water never disappoint me or else yeah and i hate to say this well actually i don't hate to say it but i have bad news for progressives Hmm. that also applies to engineers Dealing with engineers and things like quality, et cetera, it's like it has to be perfect or else. And you never get anywhere if that's the case because mm. you can't get to perfection without going through some oopses. Well, and there's also a, a large amount of media that, you know, has people have a delusion of what real is and what perfect is and that perfect is achievable that lends itself into customer service. I mean, like our transition is not a Starbucks cup. There's not, you know, 30 instant modifications on there. But you said something that I, I want to really kind of hone in on mm-hmm. in the last few minutes of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you said media. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, especially now, especially in the last couple of years, we have a media that is very, very invested in having unnuanced conversation mm-hmm. Um that produces some sort of immediate gratification mm-hmm. and that 
is sensationalistic. And that mm-hmm. type of media environment that seeks to pit one group against another um, seems to be antithetical to the development of community. Well, you have to be your own personal consumer uh, editor, if you will. I mean, in a world where you only had three TV channels and you get whatever comes through the tube or through the radio, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then you then you have someone to blame about what you were told and how you were educated. Sure. But now we have anyone can have their own Roku channel, mm-hmm. their own YouTube channel, their own podcasts, you know. Um, and if you choose to only watch the NRA channel <laughs> then i mean you could watch old marine beefy dudes reenact movie scenes you could watch the women and their gun accessories and what color they want to paint it and and everything that they put on the nra tv directly goes into sales mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the guns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know i mean that's just one example you can and you know there's product placement everywhere on everything mm-hmm. yes from large movie screens to apparently your own Roku channel. <laughs> well, and, and, and there's another thing about it too. If, if I go back to when I was young and, and first starting to view media, if you will, uh-huh. we were talking about a weekly newspaper. Right. So uh-huh, you could write uh-huh. an article that right. had a lot of depth because people were going to read right. it for a week. Right. 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 Yeah. Then we went to like the daily newspaper. Uh-huh. The daily mm-hmm. newspapers, they were great because mm-hmm. you had more current news, mm-hmm. but it was, Frequently much shorter on the news article mm-hmm. because nobody can set type that quickly and get them out that fast. And so you started to lose the detail and the nuance. Mm-hmm. So then we got television. Well, television was on a three times a day news cycle, but you could mm-hmm. overlap one of them. So it was a twice a day news mm-hmm. cycle. So news actually lasted about 24 hours because you could sort of finesse it on the second round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then cable started. Mm-hmm. Okay. At that point, it dropped to like half a day or less. So the news story can't have any depth right now i was hearing the other day that a typical news cycle is under an hour whoa and and you know it wow you you can't put out anything that has any facts other than Uh, just a soundbite and i I mean i'm just thinking something like to tie it back you know like i appreciate someone like rupaul looking and having questions about like hormones and criteria and what this looks like so we can talk about it because if you think about when caitlin jenner came out was on the Barbara Walters show and like what two weeks later was on a vanity sp- spread yeah. uh, after uh, uh, like supposedly we posted new act- activist that that's but, what I'm talking about but, we, but with lots of money in that case uh-huh. but I would I don't know I mean I think she became an activist later but but she had like a major spotlight lots of media and all I know is even if you didn't know her athletic background or past, you saw her go from Bruce to Caitlin in like three weeks. Right. That's true. Whether you mm-hmm. cared about trans people or not, you saw like a serious makeover. Mm-hmm. And then you saw a lot of edited pictures. Oh, yeah, of course. And you thought whatever you thought about trans people mm-hmm. and about her but if you were actually a trans person going through that life of your own and looking at oh well then why isn't that possible for my transition or how do i do that there was a huge like depression cycle after that for people mm. who are actually on that walk looking at their own hormones and surgeries and transitions mm. that can't do that overnight with these huge teams so that's why i think trans uh mentorship is important and knowing your history is important and knowing Mm. your censorship is important because that could really play a number on your mind if you're dealing with 
well, like, why can't I be like her? Yeah, and they acted like that was the norm. And they right. did. It uh-huh. was very uh-huh. much spun that way. Right, and, and I'm sort of like, this is like some of the fiction books that we all used to read. It's like, <laughs> okay, I, I go to sleep like, and I wake up in the morning and all of a sudden I think I'm like changed. two months later she received a woman's award, which like... <laughs> Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, is that progress? I don't know. Yeah. And whenever she came it's down something. to it's when she came down to Houston to talk it's about something. uh, you know, hero Uh-oh. and all of that stuff, I'm like, Uh-oh. "Oh god." Drove through on her bus. Stop. Didn't contact any trans people while she was here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, that's well, okay. So closer. we have not managed to solve all of our community's <gasps> problems, but we have managed to discuss some of them, well, specifically RuPaul. Lots of self care. <laughs> so, um, do we have any uh, announcements, any housekeeping, any upcoming events that we need to talk about? I figure after this one, I don't want to go to any. Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll stay right. home. Uh, if you're listening locally, Houston, we have Bunnies on the Bayou. You can go to Bunnies on the Bayou's website and volunteer with TFA. On April 1st, we have a big Easter party, and we'd love to party with you and volunteer. And then they give the proceeds to projects like Gender Real. Super great. And then if you're in California, they've released the Gender Spectrum Conference. You can enroll for that. That's going to be April 30th. And if you're listening from afar, we'd love to know what your events are and where you're listening from. Where are you? Yeah, um, I think what I'll do is put up uh, something, uh, some sort of a form or something mm-hmm. on the Trans Advocate. And then and they, they can tweet where they're yeah, from. Yeah, if, if you have an, an event or something that you would like us mm-hmm. to include in the podcast or in the podcast notes, um, just send us the information. Um, I'll put that up on the Trans Advocate so that people can submit their stuff. Great. So, anything else? Nope. Nope. Okay. Until next week. See you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to another edition of the Trans Advocate Podcast. We are a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your support makes what we do possible. Resistance means nothing without supporting elected officials who won't attack trans, intersex, and queer children in our schools. They can't vote, so you're going to have to do it for them. If you live in the U.S. and are not registered to vote, we can help you with that at our site. Register and vote no matter what. The Trans Advocate Podcast was produced by Kristen Williams. All rights reserved. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Trans Advocate or the Transgender Foundation of America. Oh, darn, I thought we were going to do Star Trek episodes next. <laughs> Maybe we can do a trans version of Star Trek. Wait a minute, they did that. Didn't didn't like Captain Kirk like get transitioned into a woman or something? Wait a minute. No, yeah, it wasn't very good. Like, what is the episode? Well, no, I I remember like you know whenever I was a kid. There you go. I was trans. That's what happened. God damn it. And I mean, basically. The trans woman that just won for the um, foreign film 
presented the award for Call Me By My Name to the younger gay male that was in the main the main picture that was up for the best film and best actor that night. So it's kind of a pivotal time, and they're doing what they can as Oscars to be uh, forwarding and not being called out all the time. Like the Golden Globes just got called out, especially by a lot of women. So basically the Oscars led with, we love women <laughs> and minorities, and we want everyone to work. So, so just what, like what, start what, with what, that, right? Was, was that done in... I, the we love women was that done by someone who was presenting as male or female? <sighs> so <laughs> <laughs> it is a pure curiosity. <laughs>